Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. This is episode 21. Enrollment in the ADHD Essentials Parent Coaching Groups has begun, and we're already filling up. Twice a week, for six weeks, we'll be looking at ADHD parenting through the themes of structure and systems, communication, emotions, self-care, connection, and questions. Space is limited, so email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com today to save your spot. My guest today is Samantha McLeod. Samantha is the mother of five kids, three of whom have ADHD, with dyslexia thrown in as well. And her family's struggle with these disorders led them to homeschooling. I realize homeschooling can be a controversial topic for some, but given that it's a choice some families affected by ADHD make, I wanted to make sure I included it as a topic covered on this podcast. You can learn more about Samantha's approach to homeschooling on her YouTube channel, Creatively Misaligned, which is linked in the show notes. In today's episode, Samantha tells her story. It's a tale of struggles and resilience that includes meetings with teachers, bullying, dungeons and dragons, growth, and the love within her family. She talks about the challenges she's faced as a mom and the steps she and her family have taken to overcome them. All right, let's get rolling. I have five children. My oldest is 15, and he has the inattentive type. I actually kind of like the slow cognitive tempo label a bit better. I heard that one, and it just, like, because he's so different from the other kids, like, it almost feels like it's a completely different thing. And so I, I like that term. I, I heard it from Dr. Russell Barkley. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I just, that just made so much sense to me what he was talking about. It does. Yeah. So, and then I have twins who are 12 and one of my twins has ADHD, I guess the not inattentive type, <laughs> the <laughs> hyperactive type. And then I have a seven-year-old who has mixed type. Mm-hmm. And then I have a, and those are all boys. And then I have a five-year-old girl. That's a lot of ADHD. It, it is. It is. It's, it was really tough for me to tell, actually, what really was going on because we had one child that, like my, so my oldest was always a very calm kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was very, very calm, quiet, a little bit dreamy, you know. And then my twins came along and it was like from that moment on, the house was just a tornado. And then, um, so I, like one of, one of my twins was always very challenging from very young. He was a real sensation seeker kind of kid. And I use that term because he really, really, really liked to cause a reaction in people. He would have food and he'd walk over to the carpet and dump his food on the carpet. 
or dump his juice on the carpet or something. And then he would look up and he'd have this look of joy as he watched your face. And then he would run away laughing. Oh, man. Right? And it was really, really, really hard. My, my partner and I, we really had to kind of sit back and think about how we were going to handle this because, you know, like we didn't really see ourselves as like corporal punishment people or anything like that. But this was tapping out all of our resources. Like we rented, there was carpets. <laughs> it was, you know, like, what do we do? And, um, and that was, that was really hard. Like we really had to kind of come together and step up and decide what our parenting would look like. So what did it look like? What were some of the things you did? At that time, um, a bunch of like books were talking about sort of having like a timeout where you sit with your child and you set a timer for every minute of age. Mm -hmm. And we noticed very quickly that this would seriously escalate right away. You know, it would turn from, you know, a child that was running around laughing at kind of his reaction to a child that was just going ballistic and actually like hurting you, you as an adult, like a two-year-old that would sit there and knock his head back in order to knock your teeth and things, right? Like, and, and it was very difficult. So one of the things that John and I talked about was that no matter what happened, during the reaction, the child would only have the consequence for the initial issue. Mm -hmm. Because we knew it was going to escalate. Like we both sort of had the experience of sort of being teenagers who just got punished forever, right? And Mm -hmm. consequences stretched on forever. And we didn't want to be that. So we just decided that we would sit there and try to get things settled down. And then if there was going to be a consequence, the consequence would only be for, okay, now we're going to clean up the carpet. And what we found was that eventually we realized that he just really needed to be removed from the situation, that a lot of that was starting because he was initially getting very, like he was already sort of overstimulated. Mm -hmm. And so when that was happening, kind of just, putting him in sort of almost like a sensory deprivation area. So if he didn't have anybody to riff off of, so if we say put him in the middle of the bed with some pillows and things around him, not like a punishment, but just sort of like, okay, you're in here to calm down now. Like, okay, now you've done that. So now it's time to settle down. We know that you need to settle down. And then as soon as he wanted to come out, as soon as he was ready, he would come out. And that actually really helped. So it came with us sort of realizing what was going on, but it took us a long time to trip on that. And so when you're bringing him into the bedroom and sort of putting him on the bed, are, I'm assuming you're then leaving the room or staying yeah. off to the side? I had of the- to kind of leave the room, but the door would be open and we would be visually around. We just couldn't be in because if we were, he would sit there and like attack us the entire mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Like this wasn't like, you know, just throw your kid in his room and <laughs> whatever. But it was, it was kind of like after, because we had tried so many things with us staying present mm-hmm. and all of those things just wound up with us becoming exhausted. Like we would wind up no longer being able to be kind of like the parents we wanted to be. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I like, because we would wind up with this hellcat, right? <laughs> that was <laughs> doing as much as possible, you know, and it was really, really difficult. 
but he did, we found that actually just kind of being sort of in his own space, able to calm down and able to cool down. Like I think, for example, like if we'd have known about things like cool down charts at that time, that might've helped out a lot. <laughs> you mentioned that you only were providing consequences for that initial behavior and, and sort of the escalation that happens after that is almost forgiven in advance. Um, but I have a question around that. What did you do to help? And, and sort of putting him in the room on his own eliminates that escalation because it doesn't matter. No one's there to see it anyway. But how did you help him avoid that escalation moving forward if there's nothing addressing, addressing it? So it started when he was like 18 months. So he was actually quite young, mm-hmm. right? Like this, this was actually really difficult to kind of address when he was very young. Um, but one of the things that we worked on a lot was prevention. So as I said, like we noticed that he was often overstimulated, mm-hmm. right? And so we would work on the environment. And then as he got older, so like we actually were there to see it because we were like he, like when he would be in the room, like the mm-hmm. thing was having somebody there, he would attack you. Mm-hmm. But not having somebody there, he would actually settle down. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like the thing was, he was looking for a response. Right. And when he didn't have that, he would actually start to settle down. Like okay. it was actually really surprising because that, the, it, it worked as well because it actually addressed that overstimulation by having him out of a situation. As he got closer to four, we did talk about um, like what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and talking about it later. Like when this happened, why did you do that? And that's actually some of how he stopped throwing things on the floor in the first place. But that came as he got older. Like it was much harder to deal with when he was very little. You and your husband are talking about and planning how to address this problem that, yeah. that your kid is, is just overstimulated and escalating as soon as you try to in, intercede to manage the behavior that he's engaged in. And that you and your husband are talking about that and problem solving together to get on the same page and also to, to own what's happening as parents. It was a very hard time and it was hard for both of us. And I think there was a lot of empathy going back because each of us could see that the other one was really struggling. Mm-hmm. Right. And another thing is, um, so <clears throat> our twins had um, twin to twin transfusion. So Nick was actually born substantially smaller than Eric. And Nick didn't sleep. Like he would go through long periods of time where his sleep was really disturbed. Mm -hmm. And even at that time, his sleep was really poor. So we were already functioning on low sleep. There was Mm -hmm. already a lot of like pretty much from birth. It was like, how do we (laughs) handle this? Right. And you have a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, like another kid who's in the house. And just for our audience, the twin to twin transfusion transfusion is when one twin winds up getting more nutrients than the other while they're in utero. It sounds like Nick was the kid who got less nutrients and a lot smaller. So we're going to have some developmental stuff going on neurologically as well as physically potentially. So that's challenging as as a parent. Yeah, it was, it was really hard. But the thing is like, you know, like a lot of kids, he was, he always had such a, like such an easy smile. Like while he was a complete handful, he was also like just a little monkey, you know, (laughs) so wonderful. In a lot of ways. So, you know, you sort of had that flip where you had this amazing, wonderful, affectionate kid 
you know, you get that flip side, you get the impulsiveness on both sides, you know, you get the disastrous frustration, right? Right. But you also get that like, you know, bounding hugs and jumping up and down and excitement and clear communication about like, you know, pure joy that you never see with other children, you know, like, it's just like that joy is enhanced too. So like when the times were tough, the times were tough, but when they were good, they were really, really good, you know, and often that would be the same day. Going back and revisiting something you mentioned earlier, that one of the things you found helps you meet with success was controlling the environment. I'm wondering if that's where homeschooling comes in. When we started homeschooling, Nick had been good in school for kindergarten. He had really made some good friends. There were some challenges at school that he was having, but they weren't too serious. But I always found that when he had a teacher who understood him mm-hmm. or who he felt understood him, he, did, he, he was okay. I didn't have to worry. Then he was that affectionate kid with that teacher. And I often sort of stacked the deck by, you know, when they talk about, you know, they have you do that intake notice, you know, they'd say like, what is your child like? And I'd say, oh, he's gives the biggest hugs. He's got a smile that's ear to ear. Oh, he's a bit explosive, but, you know, like, (laughs) and I'd go in and I'd try to introduce the teacher and I'd, I'd always talk about how the teacher really liked him and stuff like that. And like Mm -hmm. to him. And actually, it was really wonderful. His, um, he wanted to invite his grade one teacher to his sixth birthday. Nice. Yeah. So, and it's over the summer. So he actually, um, in June, sent uh-huh. her an invitation to his birthday oh, wow. in August. And, and she said that she didn't think it was appropriate to come, but she sent gifts. Cool. So she actually came by our house and dropped off gifts for him. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was really nice. But when he got to grade three, then things kind of started to really shift. His teacher didn't really understand him. The teacher was more of a he, was a, he was a nice guy who obviously cared about Nick, right? But he just didn't get, like, he was just so different. And so different from me too, right? Like, um, he called us in for a special parent-teacher interview, like, for a special meeting in order to show me clear evidence of what was wrong with Nicholas. And this evidence was that there was this project, and I think it was on the Amazon rainforest, and it was a project in six parts. And the parts were rough draft one, rough draft two, rough draft three, rough draft four, rough draft five, final copy. Like this wasn't six parts, like this part of the Amazon, that part of the Amazon, this part of the Amazon right? It was literally like six steps to the writing process. So I taught sixth grade English. My kids wrote one, maybe two rough drafts. I don't think I've ever written more than two rough drafts ever. Was every kid writing all of these rough drafts or was it just Nicholas? All of them. This was the assignment. So what would happen is he would hand out a paper for you to recopy your first draft and flesh it out. So this thing that he showed me was that Nick had done some bullet points on his project for his rough draft, for his rough draft number one. Mm -hmm. And for his rough draft number two, there was sort of mostly an empty page with maybe a little bit of an introduction and then like connecting words, right? Like he didn't 
like as if he was sort of thinking about the bullet points and then connecting them. Mm -hmm. Right. But not rewriting out anything. Like he didn't rewrite anything. He only put new content down. Okay. Right. So it's like mostly this empty page that has, however, <laughs> and next, <laughs> then we're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> so he's already seeing through this assignment he's already yes. got it nailed he's like ah and then the next ones were all like doodles and scribbles and with no whatever. content at all just pictures and stuff yeah and not even pictures that you could use like these were like it was scribbles right mm -hmm. like this was not a child that was thinking about this project at all this was a child that was like slashing the paper with a pencil the final copy was, you know, all about the Amazon rainforest and the various levels of the rainforest. And it was actually pretty well done. Mm -hmm. So he'd literally done like one rough draft that he barely edited and then a final copy. And the teacher was like, clearly this child does not understand the writing process. And I, like, look at this problem here. Except that that much revision is going to make kids hate writing and your son saw through it and I'm assuming managed to avoid hating, hating writing because of a single assignment. Afterwards, he still wanted to be a writer. Like he went through a long period where he wanted to be a writer. Now he wants to be an engineer. But okay. the thing is, like he wanted to be a writer for a long time. But I like I just said to the teacher, like I said, like I would not have done that. You know, like I, as a kid, this is what I, like, this is similar to what I would have done. And by the way, I just want to tell you, like, I'm sitting here adulting with you as an adult <laughs> and I'm okay. I survived. <laughs> <laughs> this is where my, you know, John swoops in and he's like, clearly you and my wife don't understand each other. <laughs> You're not the same kind of people. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a solid save from the spouse. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's like, how can we help? <laughs> you know, like. Okay, so third grade is not going well. Yeah, well, it's not going well with the, like because the teacher doesn't really get him, so that was kind of hard. But it it was actually much worse than that. Nick had been being pretty seriously bullied. He was um, like he was getting picked on by a bunch of kids in his class. Mm -hmm. That third grade was also three combined classes, so they had in one room they had. Um, three grade three classes it was something like 60 children and wow. three teachers wow well they had you know those rooms that sort of have the partition down the middle so they okay. opened the partition mm -hmm. so it was an extra big room and then they had like tables with that like eight kids would sit around but they could fit like 10 tables and like each teacher takes a corner and teaches from the corner or something? No, one teacher would teach at the front of the class and then the other two teachers would sort of go around and observe. Okay. And so the way that it was sort of sold to the parents, I actually had sort of high hopes for it when I heard about it because I'd heard about these kinds of teaching methods. I'm kind of, I'm an education junkie a little bit. Like I read, I read material on school systems and stuff. <laughs> So I'd been hearing that this was something that people were doing and they were these, they were calling them blended classes. And, um, and I was kind of excited, but it didn't really work out very well because every kid, then every time that you spoke, you spoke in front of 60 kids. Every time my kid had a meltdown, he had a meltdown in front of all 
his peers, yeah. all of them. Like yeah. he couldn't leave at recess and go play with some kid from the other grade three class that had no idea he had a meltdown. Every kid his age knew that he'd had a meltdown. That's really hard. Like you're saying, that's really hard socially. It's, it's hard to be able to cover up some of your mistakes. And if you're having yeah. meltdowns, that's even harder to, to move past. And, and so then it turned out that um, um, one day, Eric sort of came home and like he was helping Nick come home. Eric is and your other? Is his twin. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he was helping Nick come home. And Nick was very sort of like woozy. And Eric was livid. Mm-hmm. And so then they, and Nick started to cry and just totally broke down. And Eric said that one of the kids who had been picking on Nicholas, his sister had grabbed Nicholas around the legs to trip him. And this guy who's in grade five had come up, grabbed a huge chunk of ice and thrown it down on Nick's back. So I'm sorry that that, that that happened. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really awful. And um, so I called the school and um, they had said that um, they'd already heard about it and Nicholas had been the instigator and Eric was insisting that no, he had not been. And he was trying to explain what happened. Eric has dyslexia and he actually has some trouble sometimes sort of explaining sequences. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that's, it's mm-hmm. kind of, something that happens. And, um, and so especially when he gets stressed out or feels like he has to argue or whatever, like it's, it's difficult. And mm-hmm. so he was trying to say no, that what had happened was this had just sort of come out of the blue, that there had been sort of like this circle of kids that had kind of been there, all this other, like this other guy's friends. And then this had happened and it had taken both of them by surprise. So, um, I, so I'm sort of, so I'm like, so my own history is that my brother had been diagnosed with ADHD in the eighties when like nobody had heard about ADHD. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I sort of had experience from, you know, knowing both the bully and the bullied are often people who need some level of uh, sympathy. Right. Right. So what I did was I went into the school and I knew who it was from who Nick had been talking about. Like I knew who it had to kind of be and they were sitting over in the corner and I just sort of gave like this look and sort of shook my head and went into the office to go talk to the principal um, about it. And I said to the principal that um, like, I wasn't going to you know be awful to the kid or anything, but um like I said to the principal that if this didn't get resolved in the school, I was at the point of calling the police. Mm-hmm. And I just said, like, I've actually found out that there was more to this, that he has actually been verbally picked on for the last six months, that a lot of his behavior is because of that. Yeah. And, you know, like I had been noticing a whole bunch of things that were really awful. There is, so the principal she kind of, again, tried to kind of say to me that, you know, um, Nick had 
apparently instigated it and that it's she sort of looked at me very sympathetically and sort of said like do you understand that your only witness is his brother so what was really nice was as i walked out this child went in and confessed to everything which was good yeah so the principal was not able to do anything but another time that i was there i saw that child with his mother so i went over and talked to the mother Mm-hmm. And then between us, like I just sort of said what was happening. And between us, we uh, tried to kind of deal with it ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Um, like I said to her that I understand that, like I said, I'm not, I'm not here to say there's something wrong with your child. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that my child is hurting and probably your child is too. So what do we do here? Right? Like, I don't want this to happen anymore. I just want to commend you on how you handled that. I mean, you're handling that's a very challenging situation with with grace and dignity to the point that you are providing grace and dignity to the kid and his family that are causing your child pain. And that's, I mean, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I just, like, I just wanted to make sure that it stopped, mm-hmm. right? And I knew... Like, I really believe that kids are, I don't know if you've heard of Ross Green, Dr. Ross I Green. I'm hoping and to get I really, him on the podcast. Oh, He's cool. awesome. <laughs> uh, and I really do believe that children do well if they can. And this is why I sort of brought in my brother, because my brother was the bully a lot of mm-hmm. times. And um, a lot of times that, that person really needs a lot of help, right? right? Like, how you stop is by getting that person help. Right. So... If what he's doing with my child, like I want to keep my child, like I, my child didn't go back to school except for me visiting with the principal. Like he was, he was safe at home, you know? Mm-hmm. I had already told the school that until things were settled that Nick was not going back to school and I would sort it out. Right. Um, that isn't when I pulled him. But the mother and I, we started um, trying to spend time together. And one of the ideas that we had was that if he knew that me and his mother were talking, that he might be more reluctant to kind of do anything. Right. And so um, the school agreed that they were going to keep him and his sister completely separate from Nicholas. I was actually really heartened by the fact that the child had gone in and fessed up when I had come in. Mm -hmm. That made me feel like we were actually dealing with somebody who was going to try right right it would have been a very different scenario if that boy had not gone in like i Mm -hmm. don't think i would have felt the same um i don't think i would have done the same things i think i probably would have pulled nicholas out of school then and there and possibly called the police and it just would have gone a lot a lot further it would have gone in a completely different direction but Mm -hmm. in actually going in and sort of facing the music i felt like we were dealing with a situation that could that could be dealt with Mm -hmm. And um, so then all of these measures were in place and then Nicholas acted up in school. One of the kids, a kid had come up behind him from grade five and grabbed his, something he was playing with on the tarmac Mm -hmm. and Nick punched him. Of course he did. He didn't feel safe. He just got, had someone come up behind him and then had ice slammed on top of him. Like that's self-protection. So the, teacher called me in to talk Mm -hmm. about it and the teacher said well he's not been bullied for two weeks i said 
I said, well, two weeks is a very short time compared to six months. Yeah. Like there is, there is recovery time. So I'm willing to work with you, but this expectation that you have is, is like that he's just over it. Yeah. Like that's, that's not enough. And, um, and I suggested there's a video that I, cause I had been really struggling before, like when this all started, because he had been started to be picked on in the, the end of the grade two, mm-hmm. like June. So we were already in January. Mm-hmm. And so come September, October, I was really struggling at home. So I had found this amazing video um, because I'm always doing that. Like every time that something is a struggle, I try to put more tools in my toolkit, you know? I'm the same way. Yeah. Well, you have to. Right? You do, yeah. Because you don't know what you know right. until you and have you, to know it. Yeah, and you don't know what you don't know either yeah. until you find out what it is. Yeah. So this amazing video is called The, the Calm Technique by Jennifer Kalari. Mm-hmm. She just goes on and on teaching these skills of mirroring, right? And like basically like emotionally mirroring what your child is feeling so that when your child is having like a very forceful reaction, you kind of respond with a not a yeah, I would feel that way too. But like a, yeah, like, oh my gosh, in that situation, I would feel so awful. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, really match their emotionality, but be a little bit lower than them so that yeah. your mirroring helps them mirror down. And then as you go through it, it's a technique I use all the time. As you, as they mirror down to you, you're also validating what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And it's not uncommon for them to then re-escalate because what you're, they're saying is validated and that triggers more emotions and they go back up again, but you just repeat the process. So you've got a kid that's oh. rolling on the even keel. I never heard about, I never heard it explained that way. See, for me, what made a lot of sense was sort of like the message sent message received. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, if you think that there's like the child at that point is logical, they're sending out an emotional message. Right. Yes. And so when you, react with some emotion back you are sort of emotion received right mm-hmm. it's is the message yeah. that you communicate back right yeah, yeah. validating and, and so what they said you're also validating the content yeah and so like if you are sort of and especially like you know so what i would bring in is like yeah like in those circumstances i've all i've always felt that way or i can see exactly why you'd feel that way like i've never been in that circumstance but if i was you know like I can completely see that. And actually, it's sort of funny. There's like this funny story when the very first time I did it, Nick, he looks at me because he had come upstairs. He was really angry at his dad for something. And he comes tearing up the stairs and he's just like, you know. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, yeah, that would feel really terrible too. And he just looked at me and he stopped and he said, are your emotions broken or something? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I got to work on this. <laughs> but you know, it took him out of that meltdown. Yeah, he was like yeah. right ready to go. And then it's like it shocked him. And he's like, what the heck is wrong with you? This isn't how you normally react. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but anyway, so I went to his teacher and I suggested this and the teacher responded with, so what you're saying is I'm the person who's causing the problem. 
Oh, that kills me. And I me. said, yes, you're steering the ship. It doesn't mean you're causing the problem, but it means you are empowered to help remedy it. Yeah, I remember actually saying something like, well, it's sort of like how the captain doesn't cause the tornado, but, you know, like... Yes, yes. Um, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I just, like, I remember just sitting there and, like, I don't know if you ever have this feeling, but I had this feeling where I just had to rearrange my face to not show the level of shock and dismay Mm-hmm. that I was feeling on behalf of professional educators everywhere <laughs> I want to apologize to you oh you know because I can you... empathize with this like this guy actually tried like even when we went and I finally said that we were going to homeschool he came up to us afterwards and he said you know like if you want to have your kid come to gym class or anything mm-hmm. like we can we can try to figure this out and they're not actually supposed to do that right? Like right. They're, here you're not allowed to use a school that way um but you know like he was he he tried but i think he just like he did not understand nick so in our family i struggle with my oldest Mm -hmm. a lot yeah because we've only been talking about nick really for this interview and you have many more children than nick and I'm, i'm assuming you're homeschooling all of them i am now yeah um but my my oldest with the inattentive type Mm -hmm. I like that is so far from what I'm like Mm -hmm. like I'm actually a lot like if we were I don't like my husband and I uh, we haven't been diagnosed with anything if we were to sort of be on a spectrum for ADHD I would be on Nick's spectrum and John would be on Alex's okay the inattentive type right with that slow cognitive Mm-hmm. tempo kind of thing and so like I just never like it was so hard for me to understand why Alex even when he was 10 you'd ask him to do something and he'd say what because <laughs> he hasn't transitioned from where yeah. his brain was previously yeah. to the statement or request that you're making so you almost have to be like Alex Alex are you with me yeah Hey, Alex, can you go put your ball in the sink? Something like that. And what I found was, so like through talking to John and through really working at learning what kind of, because by that point, he, like he got, he, he received a diagnosis at nine. Mm-hmm. So I had time to do that. And I'm um, like, I had time to sort of work on it, but it was, it was really hard for me. Like it was just, the, the reactions are difficult for me to understand and so like I I can empathize with somebody who is looking at a kid who's completely different from they are and just like what is this alien in my classroom and why are you so disruptive like the weirdest thing was he actually did like Nick Mm -hmm. right that that teacher did like him like I I really believe that actually that's why he was calling me in that's why he was worried because he felt like there was potential yeah you know like he hadn't really given up on him he'd say you know like there's so much here you know, like he's not one of those kids who walks in with like dead eyes or anything. Like, you know, he's bright and everything, but like, he's just got to do better. Right. And I'm like, oh, you're not going to do better in your class. <laughs> you know, Was he a new teacher? He sounds like he might've been a new teacher. I don't know. Um, I think he'd been there for a couple of years, but he was a, he was a young guy. He was a really yeah. young guy and he had a new kid, but yeah, but he, he just didn't have experience with mm-hmm kids like that oh and he had been the grade six teacher the year before 
Okay, so he went from six down to thir- third. Yeah. That's a big jump. And yeah. you said he had a new baby? Yeah. And he's managing a new baby. So he's managing two transitions, one from grades and one from yeah. having a baby. And he is young, so he probably hasn't been teaching that long anyway. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I mean, that puts some pieces together and it makes a little more sense. Yeah, like people, I think people actually do as well as they can. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, no, teachers are not in there to mess up kids. No, you know, like nobody's in there to do anything bad. And frankly, like I know there have been many times when I totally responded badly to, to my kids where I just didn't get it. My apology, <laughs> half of educators everywhere is just coming from like everywhere you turned, things were yeah. mishandled. And that's yeah. really hard. I can understand why you're homeschooling because um, yeah. the system failed you. Um, I mean, to put it, that may, is maybe a little intense sounding. Well, but- but at least I, I was slow Nick. on the uptake, honestly. Like I, I actually was. Um, I we went through the next year, and we were going to put them back in school mm-hmm. um, for the next year, and we were going to give it another go. And as I said, like you know, I had a rapport with the principal. Um, I just wish that, like, it was so. Nick is such a funny kid because he is, you know, sometimes belligerent, sometimes whatever, but. He's that impulsive kid who actually impulsively cannot lie. And that saved us a number of times when he, there would be this issue in the principal's office and they'd try to accuse him of, of lying or something. And he would just blurt out something. And it would just be so obvious that like he couldn't lie to <laughs> save his life. You know, and every time that something like that would happen, it would be the teacher or the principal or somebody who had egg on their face for having accused Nick of lying. And it's not, I'm not saying because he had such great moral character, right? Right. It's, it's really because of the ADHD. Which is funny. A lot of people with ADHD get really good at lying to cover up the shame that the disorder causes. And one of those ones that can't even do that. It came later, right? Like he, he can now right now that he's 12. But at eight, he, he couldn't, right? Like he just, he was a blurty, really blurty kid. <laughs> I, I just want to recap a little bit. You have five kids, 15 year old, primarily inattentive type ADHD, probably slow cognitive tempo. And maybe we're, we're going slow cognitive tempo in favor of the inattentive type. You have uh, identical twin sons who are both 12. Yeah. One, hyperactivity and has experienced bullying and has had a very challenging third grade. Um, His identical twin is dyslexic. Mm -hmm. So, but no ADHD. Um, No, it was, that was actually checked for. Okay. And I'm assuming is also having some school challenges just based on dyslexia, maybe more academic than social. Well, no, he, although they're both in the same classroom because we have one big classroom and they're both in third grade. So he, so Eric was actually part of the impetus for where the idea for homeschooling them came from, because okay. he had really wanted to not go to school anymore from pretty much halfway through grade on, grade one mm-hmm. on. Wow. And he had begged and begged and begged to not have to go to school. And I had some experience with homeschooling before. Um, there was a brief time with Alex when we had homeschooled him. So that's where Eric knew that homeschooling was a possibility, but, Mm -hmm. um, that was not our plan. 
And so we were working with the school for Eric. Um, there was a speech pathologist involved because one of his teachers had noticed that he had a mild stammer. So we did that. That helped for a while. And then when he was, he just became very, very adamant in grade three. And there was a period where he, a psychologist was involved because he was becoming depressed. And then what happened was that summer, um, my husband's father died. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, it was really tough. We, him and I were actually very close. Um, mm -hmm. We were kind of similar type people. Okay. You know, we argued all the time. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so arguing. We both like to argue, right? Like arguing. we're that kind of person. The dopamine-filled argument as opposed to the anger-filled argument. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and it would sort of be like whenever somebody would win, we'd be like, yeah, you got it. Right? Like, so, you know, we'd <laughs> congratulate each other because somebody won. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he had had um, a battle with cancer, and it, it looked like he won, and then he hadn't. And this is all while your twins are in third grade, so this is all happening at the same time? They had finished their grade by then. This was August. And uh, so we were looking at putting them back in school. School started like a day or two after the funeral. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe it was before the funeral. Maybe. I can't remember. I don't remember all the details so well. It was a hard time. But like I was bringing Eric in one day and he said, Mom, I don't want to go. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I don't, I don't have the heart to do this. And I said, okay, we have until September 30th to register you as homeschooling. So we're just going to homeschool you. And I said to Nicholas, I said, you know what, Nicholas, last year was a really hard year. I'm going to make this decision for you. You're being homeschooled this year. Mm -hmm. Normally we would have included him in that decision, but I just felt like there had just been too many things the prior year. We were going to get this in hand and we were going to sort it out. Sometimes you have to steer the ship. That's okay. Yeah. I agree with and you. I try to include my kids in every decision I can, but sometimes... Yeah. Just not a thing that makes sense. Yeah. And this one, like I didn't, I didn't, I knew that the reason why I would want to stay in school was not necessarily for, um, like it would be pride reasons, right? Like not wanting to run from school, you know? And, mm -hmm. and that's okay, but that's not, you know, I want to make sure that he doesn't turn into one of those kids with dead eyes. And already he had kind of had that. Um, and so Alex, he, had just enrolled in French immersion. So he continued in French immersion for uh, grade seven. Mm -hmm. That wound up being really challenging because the school, so in grade seven, like here, I don't know how it works there, but here the cutout, like the change from elementary to it's called junior high is mm -hmm. grade seven. And so the communication between the school and you really shifts and they try to do as much through the child as possible when they set their passwords only the child knows their passwords oh it was difficult i was going into the school and i was trying to solve things and alex was he didn't want to have homework and it was more than that like i think like a lot of times his homework was because he hadn't finished it in class mm -hmm. and then he wouldn't want to have to admit that he hadn't finished it in class right so he would sort of pretend that he didn't have homework and that was hard, right? Like it was hard for him and it was hard for our relationship. Yep. And notices, they wouldn't post notices on the website or anything like that. The child had to bring all the notices home. Everything had to happen through the child. Wow. Right? 
not everything, but like you were supposed to check in if it was working and then they would try to make it work, but it was all still supposed to be like their goal was to bring the child up to what would be high school in the next three years. Okay. And seventh grade is how old in Canada? 12. 12. Okay. So that's. And he was a young 12, right? Like. And you should still be, I mean, I support independence and fostering the independence of kids, but parents need to be steering that ship. Like, like this come up a couple of times now, right? Like you need to have the parent steering the ship. And part of that steering is you give the kid the illusion that they're steering the ship, but you don't do it where they're actually steering the ship and the parents have to scramble behind the scenes to try to figure out what's going on. That doesn't work. Yeah. The thing is like we, so grade six had gone really well for Alex because he had this wonderful teacher who basically what would happen is I would go in and she would say, okay, this is what we're doing over the next week. These are the plans. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I'd like you to support Alex doing. Okay. Right. And then yeah. I could do that at home. Like it was easy, yep. but I found that communication was interrupted. Everything had to go through the office at the new school. So then it was between the office and the teachers and everything. And it was difficult. Like yeah. it was, it was really challenging to just get everything sorted. And the truth is, I also think that Alex wanted to be able to do it all on his own. Right. So I think there were some roadblocks put there too, like avoidance tactics. Right. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Because I mean, it's a, that's an ADHD thing. We don't want to own up to the areas that we're weak in. So in a lot of cases, we pretend that we're not weak in that area and it winds up biting us. And it, it, the best example of that is when people who have ADHD don't write things down because they think they're just going to remember it. And no, you're not, you're not going to remember it. (laughs) Just write it down. (laughs) So what happened was at the end of grade seven. So one of the things that got missed was the busing slip. Mm Mm-hmm. For and we had to have it handed in by June 30th, okay. but he was given it on the 21st and didn't provide it to me until later. And I found this very crumpled up, broken thing that turned out to be the bus thing in the buried in the bottom of the backpack. And there was no opportunity to fix it. So his bus stop was eliminated. Wow. And I tried, like I called the school and I said, like, how do we, how do we navigate this? Like, what would you do if a new student went to your school and needed busing? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what would the That's tactic a good question. be? Right? Like, how do we figure this out so that it can be fixed? And then there was uh, um, that year, the government funding for buses was cut. So they had even less flexibility than usual. So it was like a series of missteps for things. And so I wound up talking to Alex. I had already set up all the activities that we were doing with our other kids Mm -hmm. for homeschooling and where I needed to be and when, depending, relying on him being able to take the bus. And now he can't. And now he can't. So like I said, okay, so here are the issues. We could have you take the city bus, but I'm actually not comfortable with that. And I gave my reasons why. One of them was sort of like a, in a crisis because of the, like the slow processing and stuff like that. Like he often feels blindsided 
by a crisis and almost floods and doesn't know what to do. Right. Um, And then because he's very internal, like nobody notices that he's having a problem. He just sort of hangs back. Mm -hmm. And here the temperature gets very cold in the wintertime. And I said, like, it's a bus, a train and a bus for you to get to school. Wow. If the trains are down and anything changes, I don't know that in the moment you're going to feel comfortable because he's also a little socially anxious, like, mm-hmm. you know, with, with other adults that he doesn't know. Right. He feels weird asking questions. I said, like, how do you think you'd handle that situation? Like that happens maybe four or five times in a winter. Right. Right. Like on a weekday, like when I used to take the bus, that was a, not a usual experience, which is why it's a one that would become a safety issue for him. Right. It would be hard to know when that was going to happen and when he would have to think on his feet. And I said, like, do you think that you would be ready for that? And Mm -hmm. how would we, how do we navigate this? Like, what do we do? And so he, he said that um, he thought about it for a bit and he thought that busing, like taking city bus did not seem very reasonable. We had one vehicle Mm -hmm. and needed to be in many different places. (laughs) And so he agreed to homeschool, right? Like he, I didn't say homeschool. He said, well, homeschooling is an option, right? This was when he, when he's in what grade? This would have been for grade eight. For grade eight. Okay. Which was a very hard year to start homeschooling. (laughs) I guess kind of walk us through that a little bit. Like, how did you learn? I mean, you said you're kind of an education geek a little bit, and that's a thing that you just like to learn about. But how did you? Well, homeschooling isn't schooling at home, right? Like, it's very funny. Schooling at home is actually typically really unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. It's not the best way to go about things. If I try to accomplish all the things that you're doing at school, I'm probably going to alienate my child. Right. Um, So typically what you do is you start with, this is typical homeschoolers. Like if you go on any forums or the advice that you get or whatever, is to de-school for a period of time, which is usually um, a month for every year of school. De-schooling is where you just take a break from expectations. Okay. From any sort of academic expectations. You work on kind of understanding this new situation. And quite often there, you see your child have interests, and then you can kind of throw more to what their interests are, right? Right. Like you sort of develop the interests that your child has, and you watch. Often it turns into a period where you're sitting back, realizing that your child actually loves learning and wants to learn and Mm -hmm. is excited and has passions and, you know, that you don't have to do a lot. It's not about carving out motivation or anything like that it's it's actually just letting your child like letting the learning free you know okay (laughs) sounds kind of corny i'm imagining parents listening to this and to some degree even as a parent myself listening to this yeah but i'm imagining parents sitting back and going well yeah my kid would be really passionate about like video games video games right and that's all they would want to do and certainly you can turn that into a ton of learning mm-hmm. just by angling things correctly. Well, but that wasn't me. <laughs> well, so, yeah, it was in a way, right? That. Like we, we used apps and we used certain things, but 
I'd always had, so Alex actually in grade seven, one of the things that we did when he was in grade seven, because he wound up having more homework was we had to renegotiate the computer time mm-hmm. because the grade six computer time that we had had scheduled was no longer working for okay. grade seven. So we had to kind of sit back and we really had to sit and think about that and renegotiate it. And so we'd already put something in place where what Alex had was he had no computer time at all during the week mm-hmm. and then computer time for four hours, one day, one day of the weekend and two hours on the other day of the weekend. And so there was already this expectation that he'd had that computer time would be limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've always kind of had that. We have that same type of limitation in my house too. So I hear you. Yeah. And so what, what we did was um, we renegotiated it for grade eight and we kind of said, okay, let's try to figure out something that leaves you. I said, I want to make sure that you have plenty of boredom time. Mm-hmm. And he's, he looked at me and he says, I hate being bored. I said, okay, so we're going to look at some articles, <laughs> some science articles about um, what boredom does to your brain and yeah. what it's for and how there's various different types of boredom. Right. And so the goal here is to have you feeling like you have the opportunity to do things. So we're going to set you up with things that you could be doing. Why don't we rearrange the basement so that you have some projects that you could be working on if you want to, but they are things that you decide to do and you don't come to me. You sit back and decide what you're going to do. Maybe at the beginning of the year, we could write out a list of things that you feel like you might want to do. Right. Right. Like if boredom is bothering you, you can have a list that you can consult. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this is the de-schooling side of homeschooling. That's sort of like cleansing period after they've been to school. Once they move into homeschooling, what does that look like? We tried what's called unschooling for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sounds like that didn't work. <laughs> well... I, I had to, that is what I'd been doing with his twins or with his brothers, right? Okay. Like that is what I had been doing with the other kids before he came mm-hmm. on board. Cause they had been like, so for that year of grade seven, they, they had been doing that. And when he was homeschooled for grades two and three, mm-hmm. that is what we had done. And so unschooling is kind of like that, but you're paying close attention to what your child's interests are and you're strongly encouraging them in their areas of interest and really, really fleshing it out. What about the things that kids just need to learn? Just got to learn to read. Otherwise you're in a world of hurt. You just kind of have to get some math facts down. Otherwise you're in a world of hurt. Like what about those things that might not line up with their interest? How I approach that is I sit back and I think about what are the things that I think are really important to learn. And I sit Mm -hmm. with the kids and I say, what are the things that you think are really important to learn? Mm-hmm. What are your goals in life? What do you want to do? So Nick at first wanted to be a writer. That meant let's work on your writing. Eric wanted to be an artist. We sat back and we thought about what would he need in order to do that? Mm-hmm. And he decided that he actually really did lean to learn how to read. <laughs> like that was really important. Right. And so he needs to spend lots of time focusing on reading. I guess with unschooling, like a way to sort of think about it is if, if, if the actual structure of school didn't exist, Mm-hmm. And you had to figure out how to kind of grow your child without right. 
thinking about what somebody does somewhere else, yeah. what would you do? And so, of course, you'd still want your child to learn how to read. You'd still want them to be doing all these things. And they'd have goals for themselves, too. Right. And so they move along in their goals. And it just winds up being a very goal-driven thing. So, yeah. So it sounds like you're beginning with the end in mind and working backwards from there. But you're not – it's a little more targeted because school as a system is trying to cover many more bases than your kid might need reading you're going to have to know some math you're going to have to know but maybe you don't need to know about the french revolution it also sometimes means that you wind up with a really really broad area in other things that aren't necessarily covered there like so for example alex grew a real passion for dnd okay right i played so, that on sunday so we're good cool. <laughs> he loves it <laughs> And so actually what, what he did for that, for a lot of the de-schooling time was he read all the uh, D&D manuals. And there's a ton of learning hiding in there. There's all kinds of oh, yeah. stuff and you can go to weather, you can go to myths, you can go to cultural requirements and civilization. You can go in lots of directions. Yep. And I got him involved in a D&D group mm -hmm. and he started going to D&D. He was trying to set up DMing. He was trying to do world building. That led him on to doing a whole bunch of mapping. Like it just led, it did lead to a whole bunch of learning. The thing is, it actually stopped really working for me because I also work and I was starting to feel like, because one of the ways that I had done it, which isn't like everybody else, everybody does things every other way, but was really trying to spend a lot of time with my kids, really know what their interests were, really know where they're going, and then really try to add more on. But then if I had to go get work done, I was out of the loop. Mm -hmm. And so I kept feeling like I was pulled in too many, like in, in our home, I get like, whenever things are going off, we do like value worksheets. Like what are your values? What are your core morals? What are your, what are your plans? And how much of your day is actually spent moving towards those things? And how much is spent moving away from those things? And are you doing this because we've been focusing on your 15-year-old and your two 12-year-olds. You have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old too. Yeah. So are you doing, are they homeschooling? Are you doing these worksheets with them too? Is My seven-year-old is fully homeschooled. Um, my five-year-old is going to um, nature kindergarten. She loves it. Okay. <laughs> it's fantastic. Nice. And she'll probably be homeschooled next year because it only goes to kindergarten. If there was like nature school, she'd probably go there. Okay. And so the unschooling side of things isn't working for you and, and your ability to feel like you're doing things optimally. Yeah. So now you move into homeschooling? So I had been feeling really unsettled with how things were going and I didn't know where to go and what to do, like what, where to move from there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and Alex had come to me and he said, you know, mom, I think that I want to try, like, I'm going to be in high school next year. I think I want to try like a, a curriculum curriculum. And I said, okay, so next year, that's easy because next year, the Alberta education has this whole curriculum that you could do online. So that's easy. He says, no, I don't want to do it online, mom. Okay, why? And he says, because then I'd be sitting in front of a computer. The people that I do D&D with, they are using this program that you are talking about. And they, like, they're missing a lot of days because they're spending so much time doing their stuff that it's just taking them so long to get everything done. 
I want to see if we can do it. Not sitting in front of a computer. Can we do something that's not like that? Okay. And so I looked around. I did find a curriculum that uses literature-based learning. And so we tried that. And then, of course, I did a deep dive into researching that <laughs> method. <laughs> <laughs> How long are these deep dives taking you? <laughs> it seems like there's a bunch of them. <laughs> well, I'll just be quiet about that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I started doing some research in that area. Like I had to get all the books and I had to accumulate everything and I had to figure out what, what he was going to do for this curriculum. And we looked at it, the one that we were going to start it actually, their high school starts with prehistory to early modern history. Mm -hmm. So I guess to civilization. Okay. And then the next year is civilization to the Renaissance and then the Renaissance to modern time. And then you have a bunch of, like you have science interwoven in there and everything. So he was really excited because he likes... I mean, he's not passionate about dinosaurs, but, you know, he had been passionate when he was five. Okay. And so it's some familiarities coming. It was there right. for him. Okay. And uh, so then I started looking into this and I said to all the other kids, you know, like the way that we're sort of doing it, could we try this method? So what I did was I sort of cobbled together my own curriculum for them at first, like just to see how this would go. Yep. And I tried sort of having a really regimented day where we're sort of switching tasks every 15 to 20 minutes, having quick flow. And then you have, you're done at noon and you have the whole afternoon. And did that work okay? Was that challenging? It was super brutal for me. But for them, it was okay, I guess. My seven-year-old loved it mm -hmm. and Nick loved it. Okay. Right. Which was really surprising because it was uber structured lots of transitions of course now nick did find the transitions really hard like he he actually found switching from one task to another to another to another difficult but as he got used to it like we agreed that we would try it for 12 weeks i did a a schedule and everything for 12 weeks mm -hmm. just to see how it would go and i did it for 12 weeks too by the end of the 12 weeks i was feeling totally burnt out but like nick still asks to go back to that just to, to sort of mention to our listeners um, and remind them from the introduction that you, you have a YouTube channel called mm -hmm. Create Aligned, um, where you talk about homeschooling and the, and the types of things that you're doing. And so I'm seeing where that comes from, right? Like you've tried a number of different ways to get your kids to be working at home at learning, whether it's de-schooling, unschooling, or homeschooling, you're, you've, you've developed a number of processes. and in the middle of those processes, you're doing these deep dives that we've sort of skimmed over what that looks like. <laughs> um, but, but you've done these significant deep dives yep. to build a foundation of effective practice. Yeah. Um, what I usually do is I'll take, so if we, if we don't want to skim over that, so what that actually looks like is I take, um, I usually look for several podcasts and a lot of books. And then, um, and I'll look for audiobooks too, because I just find that I can do that while I'm doing other things. And then I also find a bunch of blogs. Tends to take me, 
probably three weeks to a month to get a lot of information in and to sort of really process exactly what that means. And then from there, I start to sort of experiment on my children. And how, how are your kids doing? Um, they're doing pretty well. Alex is well ahead. Um, so we actually, so in Alberta, you have to meet with a teacher twice a year. And then you also check in with what you're doing. They meet with your child. They spend a lot of time seeing how things are going. Alex is, he's actually doing a lot. Um, one of the things that the person has kind of said is that, you know, like right now, he's probably doing enough for um, two years worth of English and two years worth of social. Wow. Like at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's sort of doing a lot. So how are we going to, what they were saying was like, how are we going to record this? And what do we want to do as far as like, does that mean that he backs off? Does it mean that he goes with it? Mm -hmm. Like what, what do we do? And where does that leave math and science? Math, he's, um, he's actually, right now, he's right on track for grade 10 math. Okay. And science, it's a full science curriculum, like his science. So how Alberta math works, or how Alberta science works, is that your first year is a general science, and mm -hmm. he'll be getting credit for his general science. Okay. So it's just that science, he's doing like one year of science. Math, he's doing one year of science. But the history and the English, he's actually doing kind of like two years at once right? Like he's doing a lot. It's because it's about 40 books that he reads, right? In the year, which is a lot more than you tend to read in school. But my thought there is that the high school curriculum is assuming that the child is also reading at home. And yes, Alex is reading other books at home. But the thing is, no child does well reading the two reads and the little excerpts that you have to, like the two novels and the little excerpts that you have to read for yeah. for high school English, right? Like right, if that's them. all you're doing, yeah. they need to be actually reading like 30 books at home as well in order right. to do well in grade 10 English, right? Yep. You need to be a lover of books. And he really wants to do this as much as possible true to the curriculum. So what we did was we just backed off with a lot of the writing and picked certain pieces that he would be working on. So what we'd be doing is we'd be developing his skill. So for grade 10 English, he has to do a narrative essay, a literary criticism essay. He has to do two argumentative essays mm -hmm. for social studies. And so we're doing a number of each of those kinds of essays, but more to develop the skill of writing those right, essays. Right. And then he will present two of each, right? So. Okay. I get you. And so how about the twins? So Eric is I guess, emerging reader. So he does read a little bit, but it is a struggle. Yeah. Well, with dyslexia, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but his math is well ahead of the curve. So next year he should be like, I'm actually slowing them down. Mm -hmm. We're going to take next year and do a history of math rather than moving through algebra. Have you brought in like specialists around the dyslexia to help navigate that? We have special programs that we use. Um, mm -hmm. I looked at using the Scottish Rite and our homeschooling board, because in Alberta, you work with a school board. Mm -hmm. They provided us with a, with a, ther with a therapist for him. Okay. So okay. he's seen some people. But right. his, when we actually, I initially had him assessed when I pulled him out of school because he'd been doing such a good job of faking it. None of us had actually, neither me, nor the teachers, nor anybody had realized that Eric was actually really struggling with reader reading. Like he had just looked like he was a little bit below grade level. Okay. 
but he actually wasn't reading at all. Wow. Okay. That was in grade three, by the end of grade three. And he's currently in grade? Seven. Seven. Ending grade seven. So that was four years ago. Right. So what happened was when I pulled him out and I started homeschooling him, my strategy was very different with reading. Like there was a lot of like reading with other kids Mm -hmm. and Eric would always make sure that he was the last one to read. So this meant sometimes he didn't have to. Right. But it also meant a lot of times he could guess at what was going to come next. And yep. then because he had a bit of a stammer, a he lot of difficulty it. was attributed to the stammer. And he has a lot more time to try to figure out what he's reading because he can guess about where it's going to start. Yeah. And he could guess. So, for example, like if a word started with a T and he knew all the people's names, then, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably what that word was. Right. Right. So I actually had him assessed. I brought him in and we, we paid for an assessment. And we had actually been told then that his phonological processing, which is the underpinnings of dyslexia, mm-hmm. that um, he was profoundly dyslexic and that he was the worst case they'd ever seen. And I was pulled aside and I'm told sorry. that any literacy should be that basically I should give up on any literacy, wow. which was kind of tough. They weren't not quite in those words, but it was kind of like, you know, scale back all expectations. If this child is reading at all by 17, you're, you're good. That's a hard report to get. It was, it was very tough. And, you know, like two, there's a level of kind of being a little bit amazed that he was able to fake it for so long, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Like grade three is the starting to read to learn. No wonder he was so stressed out. No wonder he was trying so hard. And the thing is, he's always been this kid, like he had really early theory of mind, mm-hmm. or that's what I say anyway, because he could always figure out like um, what other people knew, right. right? Like, and he could, he could figure out what you wanted, what you needed. And he was doing this like two or 18 months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like just really, really early, very aware mm-hmm. of what was going on in other people's heads, really emotionally savvy. And so that meant that he knew that the other kids judge kids who couldn't read. Yep. Okay. Right. He knew that in kindergarten. Wow. And he also is managing, I'm sure, the situation that his brother's going through and seeing that with that same theory of mind. So, yeah. Um, and, and how is Nick doing? Um, things are good. There's still a hardship. It's hard to get him classes for things like I try to enroll him in swimming classes and he doesn't get along with the teacher Mm -hmm. I try to enroll him in stuff like that and he has a hard time a lot of stuff is like he really needs to feel like he's he's really worried about I think he's really worried about being vulnerable like um he really needs to feel like he's connected to somebody so if he if he gets along with the teacher it goes well okay um still but now he's a little more cautious about getting along with the teacher so that's that's hard and then he's also now approaching adolescence like he's 12 like I actually think things were actually a bit easier last year because I still had that really peppy jumpy excited kid at Mm -hmm. in grade six right but now he started to move a little bit towards trying to be cool that's a that sucks (laughs) but that's what happens when they get stop talking (laughs) Um, um, just they can't grow up. <laughs> they do that just kidding. Thing. I know. Um, and just being mindful of time. Um, yeah. Do you have any ending thoughts, any ending essentials that you'd like to share with us before we wrap up? Homeschooling 
is certainly a method that I've sort of used in order to help us out, but it is not the, it is not the solution. What I find is that the biggest thing that made the biggest difference were the emotional connections, but they felt like I understood them and I got them. That's a much bigger gift. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.